A warm welcome to everybody. My name is Aston and welcome to my channel. I'll be uploading a lot of ministry content, some preaching, some Christian apologetics, substance abuse recovery material, and some life coaching principles and strategies. So we are doing Luke um, chapter 14. And then we'll read from verse... 15 all the way through um, to 24. A very interesting passage. Um, I will title today's sermon, You Are Invited. And then uh, let us go through the passage. So it's Luke chapter 14 and then from verse 15. And the reading of the word of our Lord is as follows. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slaves to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke and oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, Go out quickly into the streets and, alley, uh, and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind and lame. Master, the slave said, what you, have, what, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the slave, go out into the highways and the lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege that we have of another day. We know that we are only here because of your grace. We are only here because of your gracious, gracious creation and we are able to be a part of your kingdom, your banquet, because of the greatness of your grace. We thank you for us being able to open up uh, Luke's gospel today and to look into this parable. And I thank you, Lord, for your guidance throughout this. Um, ultimately, Lord, whatever it is that we are learning through the work and the power of your spirit, teach us, guide us, direct us, and let us see what it looks like going your way and ultimately not going your way as well, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this privilege and we pray, Lord, that you'll be before us in all it is that we do um, today. May you be blessed, honored and glorified in both the hearing, the reading and the preaching of your word. Uh, Lord, remove me out of the equation and you speak to your people, to those around me and even those who will be listening um, via streaming later on. And I just thank you, Lord, that you'll use this opportunity for you to reach out and, and call those who are your children 
um, so that we can be a part of your wedding banquet, um, of your banquet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a fine print when it comes to Christianity. The, a fine print is oftentimes the response. Now, you know, when, when, when I do uh, life coaching with some people, you know, I, I, I do a bit of life coaching. I, I haven't been able to do it in terms of generating an income, but I, I, I use it um, when engaging with a normal friend or somebody on the phone. I use some of the principles um, of life coaching, but never over discipleship. Um, sometimes life coaching and discipleship, they can be a bit... Uh, in, in enemies of each other because of the type of content. So I always um, sift through the content and use um, what is nice and practical um, that, that, that is more so biblical than anything else. Um, so when engaging with, with, with people, sometimes there's the fear of the future, um, the fear of the unknown. And what we do as a life coaching principle is to teach people what it's like to get out of a comfort zone is to actually get out of a comfort zone well when coming to church and discipleship I think that's that's a topic that we need to discuss is what is it like to actually get out of your comfort zone uh, in these passages that we see and more so in the overall arching context of what you see in not only uh, chapter 14 but even going on to, to chapter 15 as well you see how Luke, who is a physician, so we have Luke's gospel in front of us. Luke, who is a, a Dr. Luke, he compiles the stories from the eyewitnesses and he puts together a, in an orderly fashion, in an orderly sequence, um, to a guy by the name of Theolopolis. Um, I always struggle with the pronunciation of his name, so you know, I, I call him Pratheo. You know? He writes to Theo, um, most honorable Theo, and um, for, 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 for Theolopolis to have um, the certainty of his faith. Um, so here's the compiled evidence. And in this compiled evidence that uh, Dr. Luke documents in chapters uh, 14 and chapters 15, he mentions uh, things like lost opportunities, um, the cost of what it takes to being a disciple. Um, there's not only just lost opportunities in what we see, but uh, in chapter 15 he speaks about the lost sheep, um, a lost coin, and uh, the parable that we all know of as uh, the lost um, son. So, in this we see how God is calling people. Now, I want to start out by saying this, and it's very important because oftentimes when we speak about uh, lost opportunities for people, especially in church ministry, um, being a part of the kingdom of God, one thing we ought to establish from, from the beginning, our starting point in this, is actually this. Um, if somebody loses out on an opportunity, it's not so much so them losing out on the opportunity, but it's the sovereignty of God and the uh, predestination and election of God that God has chosen those by His grace. So somebody uh, can respond to God because God has turned a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. God has permitted the person to be able to come to Him via salvation. And oftentimes that, that, that sounds unjust, like, oh, what about the others? Well, it's not unjust. Justice for God is to reject all because we have sinned and fallen short of His standard. And we're seeing that in Romans. Um, that's justice. 
and God is a righteous and just judge. But if we give some, so God is able to change the heart of somebody that is desperately wicked, pursuing the denial of the truth of God and, and the building of the unrighteousness of self. The pursuit of your own desires. God is able to stop that person in their tracks and call them to salvation. In this parable, God, um, Jesus, our Lord, through this parable, somehow actually gives us a bit of a history lesson. You know, and I'm going to explain to you uh, how we see that and where we find that. But this year is, so to say, the lost opportunity for those whose hearts are not changed towards God. Um, well, here's the thing. It's, it's, it's not to say that the invitation isn't there for them. Um, the invitation is there, um, but being able to come to God um, is not a desire that they would ever have. Hence, they would reject this invite. Now, in saying all of that, it's not to say that grace would then fail and account to present itself to anybody. No, grace is there to pursue and to chase after those that it is chosen for. And we see that in the later parables, we see the lost sheep. He has a owner of a sheep. He has a hundred sheep. One goes off. He leaves 99 just to look for that one. That's how desperately God would. And when we say desperately, we're not saying desperately as if God's got nothing else to do. And oh no, that's a weak savior. God would leave religious people in pursuit of a sinner that is there for, for salvation and repentance. It speaks about how God would come to offer salvation to those who don't need it. You can leave that sheep, but God is in pursuit of that sheep. So I want us to see the invitation. I want us to see the excuses and I want us to see then ultimately who comes to this banquet. So let's pick it up. Chapter 14 from verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Verse 16, then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. So um, here's the scene, here's, here's, here's Jesus. Um, he's speaking and sharing um, this, this, this parable. And in him speaking and sharing this parable, um, he, we need to understand a, a parable is a, a, a story that has a heavenly significance. So it, it has a deeper meaning to the parable. Um, some parables, the Bible um, gives us the answer to those. Some uh, almost seem to be self-explanatory. But uh, Jesus, um, in the teachings of the parables, teaches us that um, some just won't understand the parables. And the Bible actually teaches us, he actually tells the parables so that some can understand and that some won't understand. You know? So we see that throughout Scripture. So here's the scene, here's Jesus. And Jesus is speaking about this parable. Verse 16. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited him. Invited many. So, uh, here's a banquet. And the guy that is hosting the banquet sends out invites. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. Now, here's the thing. Okay. The invitation goes out. Nobody responds. Nobody, nobody says, hey, we're going to come, we're not going to come. When the time of the banquet comes, so, so the day has now arrived, it's banquet time. On that time of the banquet now, for everybody to be ready to enjoy, 
Now the excuses start coming up. Listen to this. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his slaves to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. Verse 18, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. Now, let's, 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 let's start off with what this banquet is. This banquet is a, a picture in this uh, parable of the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is heaven. This is going to heaven. This is sinners that are, are fallen, having the opportunity to have peace with their maker and enter the presence of their maker for eternity. Okay? Um, the, the sending out of this invite is the history lesson. This is the prophets of old. This is the Old Testament um, calling God's people, telling them to turn, telling them to repent. This is, this is, this is the Old Testament presenting salvation um, and grace to people and the wickedness and the hardness of people's heart that would reject this invite. People would not turn away from this sin, but they would reject God. Okay? They would reject the Savior. Okay? Now, um, let's go through it. Verse 18, But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Now, I want us to think about this whole thing about excuses, you know. Um, can I tell you something? And uh, I promise you I'm not being shady when I say this. Having, having a small church, is, it, it, it's such a blessing. It's, it's, it's really nice. I think there's, there's, there's privileges that we have in having a small church um, when, you know, you're, you're not going to have when you have a big church. You know, I'll give you an example. Sundays after church, I can chill with everybody and chat, chat a bit, you know. I'm actually tired, like it you know, Sunday, um, after speaking to some of the people after church, um, if you had noticed, I, I even sat down while they stood up, you know, and, and here I'm younger in the presence of my elders, and uh, it seems so rude, like <sighs> the pastor's almost sitting down, you know, uh, but I was, I was like, it you know, um, and for those listening, it means I was just tired, I was, I was finished, and I preached, preached a, a beautiful sermon, ready in the morning um, and all of the above you know, energized from the sermon as well amped up um, from the preaching um, but also it requires some energy so um, it's like picking a job when you're done you want to grab a seat isn't it um, in a big church you won't have that you know uh, you won't be able to have a conversation with everybody after church you won't be able to engage with, with, with people but it's not to say that there isn't means of engaging with people you know so there's the downfall, the upside, the downside. One of the downsides in having a small church, and listen to me nicely, I'm not being shady when I say this, and I'll explain to you why. Um, oh, this is something I've experienced throughout the past couple of years. And the people that is currently in our ministry is not only the people that I've experienced this with. I've experienced this with various people, so it's not me being shady towards a particular person or particular families or anything like that in the ministry. So I want to start off what I'm about to say by saying that this is not um, this is not towards a particular person or a particular family. This is an observation over the past couple of, of years. Here it comes. People always have an excuse. When it comes to church, people always have an excuse. I can write a book on the WhatsApp that I get on a Sunday morning. 
<laughs> I can write a book on the WhatsApps. I should have got them on a Sunday morning. People just have excuses of why, when it comes to the things of God, they have other things to do. Now, oftentimes, you will look at it like this. You know, that's a, people will say, that's a valid enough excuse. Okay? And sometimes when you really look at some of the excuses, you know, I wonder if um, I, for one, so, so when I'm having a small church, I will say this, the absence of the presence of anybody is dearly missed from me. And the presence of those people is dearly appreciated from me. Now, what I mean by that is, is because we're such a small church, I know exactly where Lyle sits on a Sunday. And I look for that smile of Lyle. When Lyle wasn't here, because he was uh, still on holiday, I, 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 I missed that smile of Lyle. Come I tell you, Lyle, it was so nice having you on Sunday. Because Lyle was like at the edge of his seat with the Bible. You know, every time I looked, in, if, if I had to look for affirmation, I, I know I'm preaching a contextual good sermon. Okay? So if I needed affirmation for any reason, if I just had to look at Lyle, I would have been caboosed. Because Lyle had that look on his face like, Pastor, it's good. You know, it's like he was, he was, he was, he was learning, he was listening. So, so, so I miss the faces of everybody, of anybody in a moment like that. You know, you, you dearly must. And then the absence of certain people, it, it does have a bit of an effect on, on um, the overall energy in the room um, on a Sunday. You know, it doesn't change my preaching. I'm, I'm still going to preach. You know, I, I even said to Jasmine, I'm, again, I'm not throwing shade. We've been, I've been doing this for, for quite some time. I even said to Jasmine, you know, I'm even prepared to preach, even if I just preach to her on a Sunday. And truth be told, for the next 30 years, if I can just preach to Jasmine, that is a life worth lived for me. That's how much I value just a person. Discipling a person, being able to get the word of God across to just a individual. That's how important the message is to me. That one person listening to the gospel is one person enough for me. Who knows in future who Jasmine would be able to, from her life, from her ministry, um, be able to engage with. Who's the people in, in, in her past, in her friends group, that has been touched so much to see that God was able to change her life. And who knows in future would respond and become a disciple of Christ through Jasmine, just as much as Jasmine has become a disciple of Christ through me. So, so for me, that, that is enough. But here comes the thing. In order for us to really build a church, we're going to actually have to have less excuses and more attendance. I mean, there's so much things. I mean, think of it. If we get a building tomorrow and we need rental for a building, Without a congregation, it will be impossible for us to be able to even put the sound system on on a Sunday. So I'm not saying that, that church is dependent on those that give. No. But what I'm saying it is to make it comfortable in order for everybody to enjoy what it is that we need to do in order of conducting a church service. It is important to have all of those things. Now, here's the funny thing. The invitation is for everybody. But what is the excuse? Well, here's the thing. The invitation is for you, but what is your excuse? Now, I'm not saying that this passage is speaking about your church attendance, but I am saying the proof of you being the person that is in attendance to that banquet is evident by us seeing your church attendance. So what is your excuse? Yeah? Um, let's go through the passage and let's see. Um, 
verse 18, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. So, last comment on the excuse part. So, um, we're going to look at the excuses, and some people might argue that these excuses are valid. And I want us to look at each excuse, and I want us to actually, like, reason just for a moment. You know, let's just think about it, okay? Listen to this, okay? The first one said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. I mean, buying a field, it can be, it can be a business field. You know, it can be a, a, a vineyard, okay? It can be for business. It could be even for staying for your family. So the people would say, oh, but pastor, this is somebody that, that needs to be there. If, if they don't do what they need to do, um, if they don't do what they need to do, maybe their family won't have a place to stay. But here's the funny thing, okay? Let's reason. Who buys a field without looking at the field that they bought before they bought it? And do you buy a house without viewing a house? Do you buy a car without viewing a car? I mean, maybe social media, marketplace, at least you can see the car. They can send you pictures and tell you, communicate with them. And you can make a decision. You know, is it, is it, is it enough? Is it okay for me to buy the 1.4 carburetor for 10,000 Rand if it's got a bearing knock? You know, I mean, they can... You can see that information online. But I mean, who goes out and buy a field and they didn't go view it yet? So this person's excuse is, I've already purchased, I've already invested money into something and I need to go and see what my investment looks like. If but anything, this is a person that rather makes bad decisions than anything else, isn't it? I mean, let's reason, let's think about it, okay? Um, uh, the first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. So, uh, this first excuse throughout history is, I, I actually have something else to do. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming. I'm going to go look at a piece of land. Okay, so, so to this person, what is the priority? Seeing a piece of land. But actually we know that it's not a priority because it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Okay? Um, and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I mean, again, um, you, you, you go to VW, you go test drive the latest Golf 8, you then decide you're going to buy it. Okay? Do you first see what it is that you need to do? So, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, okay? Um, I've been looking at this, um, you know, tailoring and, and things like that. So, I went on to Marketplace on, on, on Facebook and uh, I was trying to see if I can maybe just get a second-hand cheap machine, you know, um, just to try out some stuff and just see, you know, test the waters a little bit. But here's the thing, okay? Um, as I send messages to those who are selling, I ask them about the condition, if it's working. But this is what I would do. I will not meet them at McDonald's. I will meet them at a place where it, there's electricity and a plug so I can plug in the machine and I'll go with, with cotton and a needle and I'll thread the machine and I'll make sure it works before I purchase it. Because the last thing that I'll be doing is making an investment, even if it's a minimal investment, into something just for me to come home to, for me to be disappointed that the thing doesn't work anymore. You know, if you have car guys that sell cars, they tell you if you buy the car, if they don't know what's happening under that engine, they tell you this, footstoots. It means you take it as it is. Oh, after that, it's, it's between you, yourself, and you. Okay? 
Here's another game. Here's his excuse. How do we know it's an excuse? Because the Bible's saying it's an excuse. So, Pastor, I think that's a valid one. I mean, he bought himself some ox, some yoke. You know, he's going to yoke his ox and he's going to try them out. He's going to put the plow to the field. Okay? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna make a buck. He's got a family that's dependent. The Bible just told us that this is an excuse. He got the invite. This is an excuse. Is he really concerned about his yoke and his ox that he just purchased? No. He's just using anything. He will find any reason. So, again, people will say, well, is it valid enough? You know, uh, let's, let's take it a step further. Okay? People will say, you know what? Maybe if it was a funeral, it would be a good enough excuse. Well, we can just turn in the Bible to the passage where somebody says that he wants to go bury, bury a relative. And Jesus' response to him is, let the bed bury the dead. So, uh, the call and the urgency of the kingdom of heaven is, is a call and an urgency that is above and beyond anything else. In fact, it is so important that when you, when you look at the very next verses, okay, when you go to verse uh, 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I remember I told you this, that's fine print. And, and truth be told, when we preach the gospel, we shouldn't preach the message just telling them, here's the invitation. Go home and think about it. When you're ready, come. It's like, here now. Paul the Apostle says, we plead with you. We're pleading with you. It's, it's a matter of life and death that is presented to you right now. And it's a call of urgency. It's either we turn away from what we are doing in that moment in response to God's kingdom. There is nothing on planet earth that is more important. Now, let me share this with you. And, 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 and please don't think it's, it's prideful. Okay? I'm graced enough to be called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Honestly speaking, if you had, had given me multiple options 10 years ago, I mean, this now, this is going on my, my, my 10th year in my relationship with God, walking with the Lord. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would be doing what I am doing today, I'd have told you about a million other things that I want for my life. You know, when I, I, I came to the knowledge of Christ in a recovery program, a substance abuse recovery program. So, so, so outside of that, I, I never knew the person of Jesus Christ. If, if you had told me when I was going to recovery to sober up from addiction, that I would be a preacher behind a pulpit one day. I mean, uh, I, I went into ministry at, at, at age 22, 23. That's what I done in my 20s. My 20s. I serve the Lord. So that's what I was doing. Okay? Now, if you had told me that pastoring a church, I have friends that are in ministry. I have another friend. He had an opportunity to take over another church. Now, one of the pastors got called for missions and he had to become the pastor of it. This guy is actually, actually a dean at a Bible college. He's, he's, he's a dean of a Bible college. He turned down the invitation in order to be a pastor of another church because he understands the major work that it takes to pastoring a church. Well, here I am, 10 years later. If you had told me, I would have, I would have probably thought of other things. I would have thought about maybe marriage would take a preference. I mean, my son was just born. Uh, then Negan would make 10 this year. I mean, uh, I would probably have to think about uh, Aikido, isn't it? 
for the life for the child. So, if by anything, I always tell people, if I have to think about the urgent call to respond to the grace of God upon my life, I've rejected many opportunities. And truth be told, to this day, I still reject many opportunities. Opportunities find its way somehow to present itself to me. They're always just popping up. You know, last week, I had another opportunity. Another, uh, uh, another business opportunity it just pops up. And it's like somehow they even get closer to home. The business opportunities in our street. I can open up, set up a shop in our street. Spoke to the guys waiting. I can go check out the place. We can discuss rent. You know, I already have somebody that will work in the shop. <laughs> Boom, business opportunity. Then another friend of mine sends me a message and he's like, uh, he's, he's selling his old equipment. He's upgrading. There's furniture for the, for the store. There's an employee for a store. All I have to do is send a WhatsApp and say yes or no. And I'm in it. Boom, back in business. Relaunch of the shop that was closed. Awesome, isn't it? Sounds nice as I look at it like, yeah, pastor, I'll even do it with you. But that's just it. That's not what is important to me. So, here it comes. A weekend I was driving around. And as driving around, I was looking at complexes that was around me. And as I looked at these complexes around me, I, I envisioned all these families. And I envisioned the most important thing that anybody can ever hear on earth. Like, there's an highlight to the most important thing. And here it comes. It's the gospel. There is nothing. Now, when I, when I say that, eh, it almost sounds arrogant, isn't it? It's like, oh, please, you think you're the only person on earth that has the most... No, I don't. I think for thousands of years, since before, the, before Christ, since the creation of the world, there's been this most important thing, the gospel, that has been in effect and in existence. It's the biggest truth ever known to humanity. And the enemy will try to hide it and disguise it and send humanity in pursuit of anything else but that. It's actually a matter of life and death. Literally a matter of life and death. That's how important the gospel is. Which means, the moment of the gospel, there is nothing more that is important. Now imagine that if I was a salesperson, okay, an evangelist, and I have to go and I have to evangelize a complex. I'm literally coming to people to tell them about something that, if they've never heard it before, that is the most important moment of their life. But no, that's not how most of them would perceive it. A knock on the door, they probably tell me, I'm about to feed my child now, bye. You know, a knock on the door, they probably tell me, you know, they probably tell me, sorry, we don't have any extra clothes or food for you. Our tap is closed, we don't have water. Huh? That's probably what they say, isn't it? Huh? That's the urgent call. That's how people normally respond. People always have excuses. Well, God knowing the excuses that some would have, He would then pursue those that He knows would respond to the invite. Well, before we get to those, let's look at the last excuse. Um, and another said, uh, verse 20, and another said, I just got married and therefore and I'm, I'm, I'm unable to come. Listen, the guy's not saying I'm going to get married. I just got married. What, what, what a bad way to start your leadership as the head of the house to your family. What, what a bad way. In actual fact, God has permitted marriage for the enjoyment of a covenant because of His covenant towards us. 
marriage is in existence because of this banquet that's about to happen. Are you telling me marriage is more important? No? If by anything, if there should be a couple, one day they would want to get married on the Sunday. I'll tell them, well, you best make sure that we're doing it at, during church service. If you want to get married. And in actual fact, wouldn't that be beautiful? To honor God in the covenant on the day that we gather together to honor God. Well, people have excuses to this invite. I want to ask, you know, what is the excuse? You, you know in your past that you've had. What is the excuse you currently have? Huh? What is the feeling that you have before we come to morning devotions? Because in actual fact, that feeling that you have towards the physical place that we gather together called the church is a reflection of the eternal dwelling called the kingdom of heaven, the true banquet of God, eternal life. Because if that's how you feel towards us getting together here, imagine what eternity will look like being with God forever. We can't even stand the preaching of Sunday. You know? I, I look and I realized um, on Sunday that my time is a, is a bit off um, as per the norm when I come to listening to me preach. You know? And come and tell you something. I like it. I enjoy looking at my time and realizing I might just be another hour late. But I, in actual fact, if, 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 if you have to tell me right now Okay, I mean, if we have to do a Q&A session, I can do Q&A from now till lunchtime. And then after lunch, have a snack, something to drink, and we can probably go on again till this evening. I can go on. I can talk about the Bible the whole day. Anybody, uh, and if once you get me started, you know, my airtime will run out, I'll make a plan to buy airtime and phone you back because I didn't speak about verse 24 yet. You know? We're we on it. Now, here's the thing. If we can't even endure conversations like that for an hour extra, what are you going to do in heaven? So you know where your heart is at. For our, our listeners, you know where your heart is at. Now, here's the thing. Here's this guy and he's like, she's got married. Can't come, sorry. My friend, you knew about the invitation. Now you got an excuse. We know it's an excuse that the Bible's telling us. It's an excuse. Some might argue, hey, pastor, I mean, this is valid excuses. Come on. Somebody just bought land. Like, we, we need to, why don't we celebrate that land? Why don't we do the banquet on the land? Why must church always change what church is doing to accommodate you? Why? When are you going to get out of your comfort zone and into the next sphere of what God is calling you in? Well, that's not what we have in church today. But we just have excuses. And if you tell me there's anything that is more important than your relationship with God and the local church on earth, I take you to verse 26 again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, I, I, should, I should be upset with the fact that I, I bought that land. I should, I should be upset that I got that yoke and that ox. I should hate my own life. You know, we were looking at it on Sunday. Um, you know, uh, and we can look at it elsewhere even in the scripture. Um, one of the problems that we have is the pride of one's lifestyle. And that's oftentimes people's excuses to not gather together. The pride of one's lifestyle. And again, I'm not being shady to anybody. You know? um, by the way, I mean, this verse, I didn't even know I was going to do this verse. 
Um, I, I, I checked this yesterday. Jasmine set out the, 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 the schedule for the year. You know, uh, these verses have been chosen. So all our devotions for the year is already set in stone on pen and paper. So I just have to preach the verse I've been given. And so I said to Jasmine, awesome verse. And I checked it this morning. I was like, oh, thanks. A nice verse. So I'm not being shady. But I can speak from long-term experience. I can speak from before even being a part of our church, being a part of other ministries. I can speak about the discussion that us as pastors have when we gather together. What's some of the biggest challenges that we have? And you know, that's, the, that's some of the issues of what COVID has done to our church today. There's no such a thing as online church. There's no such a thing as online church. In case you, you didn't hear right, you don't have to rewind. Let me just say it again. There's no such a thing as online church. Show me one verse to support it. How do you, being a part of, if you need to usher, if you, if, you, if you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, how do you offer up hospitality online? Who do you usher to this seat? You know, pastor, um, in actual fact, we have people writing comments. I didn't see writing comments as one of the spiritual gifts. We have people pinning the post to the top. Well, oftentimes they're only pinning your banking details to make sure that the people don't forget to give. You know, when you check the online chat, that's normally what's right on top. Not, it's not the welcome. It's the banking details for your tithes and your offerings. Hmm? Why must we make an excuse to want to change what God has in store for us? Do we think God wants to leave us in our comfort zone? Is God actually calling us out of our comfort zone? And if God calls us out of our comfort zone, I can guarantee you something. You will never be disappointed that you attended that, that banquet. That's going to be the best banquet you've ever attended. There's no banquet that can compare. Well, listen to this, verse 21. So the slave came back and reported uh, these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys and, uh, of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind and lame. It's like, okay, leave them. Get the poor. Get the sick. Get the blind. And here's the funny thing. Remember I told you this is a history lesson. The prophets of old have engaged with God's people, God's chosen generation. Call them to salvation and repentance. And throughout each generation, throughout the Bible, we can see how the humanity, God's people, God's, the Israelites have rejected the people. They have rejected God. And God continuously, God destroys places. God floods the earth because of people's hardness in their hearts and rejection of His truth. And they love us. God floods the earth. God, 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 God takes his people through. He, he splits the sea. Takes them on dry land through the sea. To take them into the wilderness. To derail them because of one leader in, 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 in disbelief. God then, even that people after establishing them. We, we have history of God choosing people. To be a figure, a leader over his people, to call his people to salvation and repentance. And we have that people going astray, going astray, going astray. But we see God's steadfast commitment to those people. But God's steadfast commitment to those people is not for those with the excuses. 
In actual fact, it's for the blind. It's for the poor. Remember what the Bible teaches? How, how difficult. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than what it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, it's impossible. You're not going to find them there. Go to the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to find them there. I mean, if, if you can be considered to be rich in this world, like you, you rich, okay? You can change lives with your money, but you're not. Instead, you've got the latest CD Postopedic. Think about it. We, we will spend, that's why I say to people, if, if our commitment, you look, at, you look at vehicles today, I mean, cars aren't cheap. You know? um, people are paying 10000 a month on car plus insurance, up to 15000 a month. And, and, and their commitment to the poor is a five rand on the street corner. Is that the heart of humanity that we have? In actual fact, the one giving the five rand, thinking they're doing God a favor, it's not the one that God is doing a favor to. And listen to me, let me say this. Not everybody on earth is God's children. That's why the Bible says we adopted. There's the doctrine of adoption. We adopted. Okay, we sold out into slavery. The Bible teaches us, I'll give you an example. For those that lie, they say you are of your father, the devil, a liar. So the Bible says that the devil has his children. And listen to me nicely, the devil is a good provider. Yeah, he provides for his children. And who's God's? Hell, who does God care about? God actually cares about those people that you don't want to see be seen with. I mean, think about it. What if you had a lame friend or a lame family member? You know? I mean, imagine that <clears throat> husband and wife has a lame child. They think about the rest of their life having to push a uh, wheelchair, having to hear the sound of crutches, having to put somebody on the toilet, off the toilet, having to wash somebody's body. Those people that we don't want to be associated with, that is the people spiritually that God is accepting. Now, am I saying that every cripple or lame person is going to heaven? No, spiritually. We are actually spiritually bankrupt. God's, God's sovereign choice of election. And when you, when you look at, I mean, you, you look at people, some of us, we, some people will grow up in the church, but they will tell you the deepest, darkest sins that they have committed. There is every reason for them to not be a part of the church, but they are drawn to the church because of God. Then you'll have others. I mean, let's just look at the figures mentioned in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus. Hey, what, did you, what do you do for a living? I, I kill Christians. What's the most passionate part of your life? I kill them. Because he says so in Philippians. Zeal. With regarding zeal, passion. With regarding zeal, persecuted the church. It's like, hey, you want to know how passionate I was? I used to kill them. To kill them. I was on my way to kill them. Until the Savior himself revealed himself to me. Not only to point out sin and to bring judgment, but to call to salvation and repentance and to have a changed heart in life. When Paul eventually showed up, people were confused because they were looking at each other and like, is this not the brother that was killing us? Like, yeah, he's now an apostle. He's now the church planter. He's now the one to teach us the ropes. What about, what about others in the Bible? Think about it. A lot of the figures that God chose in the Old Testament had issues. David? David, not only a murderer, but on how much accounts did, did David commit adultery? 
You know, how much, how much more counts of adultery do you want to commit? You know? God's not choosing those who are, who are the best in every area or aspect of it. Uh, was David the best when it came to time to fight Goliath? God's picture of people that he chooses throughout redemptive history is flawed and broken pictures until we have the perfect picture of the one that God chooses. And the one that God chooses is Christ because he brings salvation to us to make it possible for his flawed pictures to be able to attend this banquet. Well, there's some that will reject the invite. There's some that will have excuses. But that doesn't stop God from having this banquet. What does he do? Well, sends his servant, goes, gets the lame, gets the poor, gets the maimed, the blind. Verse 22, Master, the slave said, what you ordered has been done. And they still him. He's like, listen, Master, by the way, uh, we brought them in. Now, here when it comes to the doctrine of election, you know, and when it, when it comes to God's elect, the people that's come to heaven, when you teach on an election, it almost sounds as if like there's going to be five people in heaven. Right? You know? It's like, but here's the funny thing. The amount of people in heaven is a large number. Okay? Listen to this. Okay? Verse 23, Then the master told the slave, Go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be full. It's like, go and let the masses be able to come and enjoy. God will still bring His people. You know, for me, who does minister, it gives me comfort. And that's why when the Bible says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But what is the, the resolution that the Bible gives? What's the conclusion? What is the option moving forward? Well, the harvest is plentiful, meaning uh, everything is right. But the laborers are few. We just don't have enough people to get what is right. But then here's the conclusion. It says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send the workers. But what does God do? He even opens up the highways and lets people come into his kingdom. And then he says, verse 24, For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. See? You can have an excuse of why we will reject Jesus as our Messiah. Why we will reject the house and the place of God. You alone know what's your excuse. But your excuse is your rejection of the invite. And if you want to know where you stand with God, well, he tells you, verse 24, for I tell you that not one of those men who invited will enjoy my banquet. So, allow me to address then those that will be. Well, think about it. Maybe you're stuck in your state of sin. Your state of sin maybe um, looks like you are lame, you are blind, you are poor. I'm not saying being poor is symbolic because of your sin. No, but I'm saying that's how bad your sin makes you feel. You can have maybe a large amount in your bank account, but you know spiritually you are still a poor person. You can have what? Physical strength, but you know in terms of, in terms of the purpose of God in your life, you are still lame. Well, God is the one that calls us who are weak, who are broken, and He calls us to be a part 
of his banquet. Now, for this, I relish, and I'll explain to you why. So, I think about my conversion to Christianity. The last thing I expected was to get saved. That was the, that was the last thing on my list, on my, on my to-do lists of trying to get sober. Was not, hey, Christ, you can encounter the person of Jesus Christ, get saved, and desire to help out other people that come from addiction. I wanted to sober up so that I could stop getting high on my own supply. One of, the, one of the other reasons before I went to recovery, I spoke to a friend of mine that uh, was a merchant. And I was like, listen, I'm actually going to get sober now. Maybe when I come back, we can do some shop, shop business, you know. I was, I was zealous about, about, about wanting to be able to take my life back. You know, I was tired of, of, of putting something on the card and taking it off to sell it for my addiction. I was tired. Uh, I was tired of looking at other people's lives continue. What I wanted was just to sober up because in actual fact, I was done now with my addiction. You know, I was tired of it. I didn't want to do it anymore. It was keeping me behind. Okay. I wanted to get sober. The last thing that I wanted was to get saved. Trust me, anybody that knew me before I was saved will tell you the last thing Esther ever wanted in his life was to get saved. Yeah, I am a preacher of the gospel, the most important message on earth. You know why? Because God chooses people by grace to save them. I was once blind, poor, so it's lame in terms of my spiritual condition. God gave me an invite that I couldn't refuse. He offered a poor person a seat at his table, at his banquet. Best, and I won't say decision I've ever made, but best invitation I've ever been given. What's your excuse? Well, you alone will know. Either we are responding to the call of God, acknowledging that He's so gracious that He's allowing us to come to this banquet, or we will just have an excuse. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this privilege that we have um, for us to look at Your Word. Lord, a difficult passage, um, and difficult even when we have to think of the application in terms of our own life. But even through how difficult this is, Lord, it doesn't change the reality that you have given out that invite. And Lord, in spite of the many that will reject that invite, you by your grace even open up the highway to bring people into your love and into your grace. And I thank you that it's because of your love and your grace that draws us and steers us to come to you. Your love and your grace that was displayed at the cross of Calvary where you atoned for the sin of those who believe in you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us of our sin, giving us the ability to turn away from our old life and to be a part of those who will be seated at your wedding banquet. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.